0: Hi friends, welcome back to the Modern Medusa podcast. This is episode four, I believe. I should be better at keeping count by now. Um, I'm very excited for today's guest. Today's guest is the, I guess you would say, president and founder of Kinkatopia, which is an organization that's focused on education and outreach about kinkajous so she's going to let us know a little bit more about her work there and how she got into animals and then also her experience with herps so welcome alex ash
1: hi thanks for having me on me
0: hi speak. i'm so excited <laughs> this is always so fun because you know we chat all the time but we never really get yep. dedicated time to just talk so thank you very much
1: oh, of course and we've gotten to meet in person which is oh, like it's amazing yes. our relationship has truly grown Mm-hmm. Year or so I don't I don't yeah I think I it's know. it's really been
0: the past year because when I first uh, this is like so embarrassing but I don't know if you remember mm-hmm. but I had messaged you like probably like a year and a half ago asking if Kinkatopia needed any help with like social media or marketing really yeah and it was over Facebook message so it's like so random Mm -hmm. and you got back to me and you were like yeah we would love to like let's chat and then we just kind of you know conversation fizzled out and then since then I just kind of kept on it and (laughs) and now we have to be friends oh my
1: gosh no that's amazing that's amazing Mm -hmm. Um, yeah it becomes a blur you know you have so many conversations with people you know
2: um,
1: now I know very well who you are a good friend um but yeah, that's crazy. Mm-hmm. I, love-
0: I think it's so funny, and um, I will give a quick disclaimer. So Alex is outside in Florida; she does live at the organization with all of her animals. So if you hear any weird noises, it's just par for the course. <laughs>
1: you're right. Well, everyone is nocturnal here,
2: mm-hmm.
1: animal across the board. So everyone's gonna be sleepy. Even reptiles. It's raining, so mm-hmm. even sleeping around me. Oh, that's so nice. Yeah. That's
0: uh yeah. I have the opposite problem. My cat Isma <laughs> should be
1: nocturnal, but
0: she is like all over me this morning. So she might make a guest appearance. I
2: love it. Yeah.
0: So Alex, how about you give us a little bit of introduction on on who you are? Um, we'll just do like a brief overview of what you do, and then kind of get into the interview.
1: Okay, sure, sure. So as you mentioned, I'm the CEO and founder of actually the world's only Kinkajou organization. Um unreal. We are coming up on our third year anniversary in March. And um, we've taken in Kinkajews, uh, you know, for sanctuary, for lack of a better term, but I do take them into my private ownership, <clears throat> but also under Kinkatopia, of course. I have volunteers who help me. We are a 501c3 nonprofit, We except um, donations, uh, you know, everything across the board. So it is like a, a Full swing sanctuary, but built into my home, which is a little Mm -hmm. unconventional, but I like living on on a site with them. Um, And as we've evolved over the past couple of years, you know, we have our foundation. We're growing into more education and outreach, which is something that we've done all along, but we're truly growing into you know, having a voice to speak for these animals because they're so overrepresented in the pet trade, but underrepresented when it comes to information, or at least they were before we really came onto the scene, to speak for them and be the voice and say, you know, these, uh, these animals are not pets. And when I say that, I'm saying it as they're not traditional pets. They're mm-hmm. not everyone, you know, and so many people get them with these unrealistic uh, expectations and with such little information that they end up, you know, doing more harm than good to the animal, which then sways their relationship. And then you're rehoming these animals over and over. You're selling them or they're not living to the capacity that they can. These animals can live for decades. Mm -hmm. So it's so sad when you have these, these mammals or animals of, of any type, you know, with emotions, with, um, a higher level of intelligence, you know, and they're just being completely miscapped. Mm-hmm. Um, so really I quick,
0: can you, um, for those who may not know, can you just give a little bit of information about what a kinkajou is?
1: Yes, that's always the popular question.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: <laughs> um, so a kinkajou is a nocturnal mammal from South and Central America that are related to raccoons and coyotes. Mm-hmm. Um, Get into the U S and other parts of the world due to the pet trade mm-hmm. they are a They live in the treetops of the rainforest and they primarily eat fruit. Um, they're evolved from carnivores. So they have these big fangs on them.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Uh, they do primarily eat fruit. Uh, they'll eat some veggies. You know, we give them some protein here because obviously captive diet versus wild is a little different. Right. Um, but yeah, there's something else. They kind of look like a little monkey bear mm-hmm. willful, um, they have a high pitch whistle. They can be noisy at night. They are like, that's great for
0: the neighbors. <laughs>
1: yeah. Perpetual toddlers. Mm-hmm. So, um, fortunately my neighbors are amazing. Um, and with the whistle, you can't really hear it when you're in the home. I can, cause I know what it is. Mm-hmm. But, you know, I think a lot of people think they're birds, so mm-hmm. no.
0: Yeah, because I know you you put on your TikTok fairly often, like them whistling and then you go out with a Twizzler. And I don't know. If I was a perpetual toddler, I'd probably do the same thing.
1: <laughs> I know, right? I know. Mm-hmm.
0: Before we get more into the kinks, which we'll definitely talk about in great detail, I kind of want to know a little bit more about you and how you got into animals in general. Were you raised around animals? Is that something that was common in the home? Can you can you go into that a bit?
1: Yeah, absolutely. Um, so I always love to lead with, uh, I'm actually a descendant of the Doolittles. So, you know, so, um, my mom, her maiden name is Doolittle and it did, it started back with like my Nana, where she volunteered for Paws, mm-hmm. Um, you know, so my mom grew up with that. And then my mom was always the one who was, you know, bringing home animals and, you know, it would piss off my father and, you know, mm-hmm. we've had some, we had, you know, bunnies and fish tanks and, you know, all sorts of just domestic, Oh. I grew up in, in Pennsylvania, right. Mm -hmm. Which is very different for at least with my experience and like kind of farm country outside Harrisburg, um, you know, a different variety of creatures that you would own up there Mm -hmm. down here. Now, of course I was very, um, amateur, you know, literally growing into being a teenager and getting exposed to reptiles were my first love, um. So, you know, I always grew up and was interested in in animals and whatnot, but I went to the Renaissance fair up there and they were selling baby dragons, which were, you know, the little anols Mm -hmm. like head over heels immediately. So I brought home one next thing, you know, I needed to have like a whole bunch of them and that evolved into getting iguana and um, water dragons and basilisks and beardies and um, I had this whole collection. I remember having like 18, you know, different varieties at once. They were all in my bedroom. And that was my obsession. Mm -hmm. So let me share too, and I'm very open that I'm a a recovering heroin addict. Mm -hmm. So in my story, you can trace like these compulsions and these obsessions are also very much characteristic of my disease. So like, you know, whereas someone has a hobby, you know, I was literally live it, breathe it. I had a website, I was writing, I was keeping, um, you know, Lists of every time they went to the bathroom and everything that they ate. Like, I mean, I guess that can also be very characteristic of someone hobbying, you know. But Mm -hmm. I'm just a kid in my bedroom with all my creatures, you know. Just like I love them, Mm -hmm. I was in it. Um, so I got to go. You know, we started doing the reptile shows up in Pennsylvania, so I got very spoiled up there because it's not like that down
2: here. Mm -hmm. And I went.
1: you know, and, um, I forget there was another really big one up there and I just, I loved it. So reptiles were always my first love. I took my beardy and my iguana to college, um, an iguana in a college dorm. Wow. i <laughs> in a college dorm. I always tried to skirt around that. Okay. Uh, but I had him up in my apartment. And when I had my beardy up with me too, at one point I had, um, him living at my boyfriend's frat.
2: So. Mm, so
0: that's funny. Cause I got, I was in a sorority in college and I was able to avoid living in the house because they wouldn't let me have my snakes. And I was like, well, I'm not going to live in the house. <laughs> like, and they're like, okay, we'll just let you get past that rule. So I was like, thank you.
1: <laughs> Sounds like a win-win for me.
0: Yeah. I definitely <laughs> I saved a bit it. of money. <laughs> Ugh,
1: so good. Mm-hmm. Um. So yeah, but I was just, I was always head over hills with reptiles always, mm-hmm. always thing. My first tattoo was a little lizard, So that was my first love. But like to skip forward a little bit, um, you know, I ended up really entering the height of like my addiction in 2008. And, you know, that put me through a whirlwind of going in and out to treatment centers and, you know, trying to get sober and not being able to stay sober. So, you know, for a period of four years, back and forth to these places and my mom would care for my reptiles you know she was always great Mm -hmm. but excuse me 2012 brought me down to florida so i came down here to a long-term treatment facility and i knew that like i wasn't going to go back to pennsylvania and i think at that point too like my reptiles had reached age you know because i got them when i was 12 13 Mm -hmm. my way um but I came down here and I got sober and I was ready to get my own apartment. And I knew I wanted to get reptiles. And down here in this area, a friend of mine had this big boa. Mickey was his name. And she had Mm -hmm. a bunch of at her house and I'd go over and I'd hang out there. And she took me to underground reptiles.
0: Oh, that's, that's, you know, that's a gateway to reptiles for sure.
1: (laughs) And here I am in this place and I'm like, what on earth, how did I know this didn't exist? Like, this is unreal. Like all these different kinds of creatures. I was so, you know, I was so immersed in like the die family up north.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Easiest thing to get a hold of. Mm-hmm. Down here is like, holy crap. You know, had the little gnolls running around. I'm like, this is really cool. So I knew I wanted to get back into having reptiles. And um, my roommate, who I was going to be moving in with at the time, it's Um, came out that she did not like reptiles and she didn't even like like hamsters or she didn't want any small animals that resembled rodents and all this stuff. And I'm just like oof doing like this is not gonna be a good situation. Like I don't fortunately by this point I met Michael, who's my fiance now. And um he took me right back to underground reptiles. Um I was staying with him for a little bit before I got this apartment. And he took me to underground and he said, you know, listen if you live with me, you can have anything in here.
0: <laughs> That's such a good selling point. <laughs> We've been dating for three weeks. Oh my God. So yeah. for anyone who doesn't know, um, Michael is very into animals as well. Can you talk a little bit about his collection?
1: Yeah. Michael keeps venomous now.
2: Mm-hmm. Um,
1: and underground at that point in time, like this, this moment of us going there was very pivotal because at that same time he was really seeing the venomous I had exposed him to, to underground prior to that. So, um, so yes, Michael primarily keeps cobras, um, a rattlesnake, a couple different vipers. We have a Gila mm-hmm. later. Of course we have our Tegu's and stuff. We have a couple different non-venomous too, but Michael very much is into this. But at that point, let me share that he didn't have any animals at his apartment. No. Wow. But at this point we'd only talked about bringing my cat down lamb from Pennsylvania. hmm okay, we're going to have Lammy and, you know, and so he had none, but he was always interested in animals, even from being a kid. Like he talks about now, the first time he ever saw a tiger salamander, you know, and we own some of those now, but it's so nostalgic for him. Mm -hmm. That's, that's what, that's what catalyzed it for him. So, and he's from Pennsylvania too, go figure. Hmm. Um, And you met in Florida. We met in Florida at work. Um, we were working at a treatment center as well. And, um, so yeah, so it's like here we were these these two people who who'd come together and it was like the the uh, reptiles just started it all. <laughs> so I agreed to move in with him and I brought home my first um, caiman lizard. Xavier. Oh, that's
0: a that's a fun one. I got to see those in Peru. They're gorgeous.
1: Oh, a while. Oh, I got. Oh, I can't even imagine.
0: Well, it was very brief because they're like caiman lizard and then it just jumped into the water and we were like,
1: yeah, <laughs> I saw that for sure. Mm -hmm. (laughs) so good no it'd be so cool to see him in the wild um but yeah so I guess this was like 2013 by then and that turned into um caiman lizard turned into what we I mean we dialed back and got another beardy and we got leopard geckos but we had we got into the tegus then um crested geckos we got our first snake we got our jungle carpet python we still have today Mm -hmm. Um, you know, and we're just like literally filling up this one bedroom apartment with like, I mean, it was very organized. Like we're very clean. He has OCD. So it was very organized, but it was like, we're clearly running out of space. And then the tegus turned into, you know, people coming to us with ones that needed hospice that had health issues. So like underground at one point saved, um, someone left, uh, a black and white Argentine tegu in their parking lot in a hamburger box and she was crushed from the waist down. So oh. kept her and, um, I had to help her go to the bathroom and she lived, she lived for like three years. Her name was chance, but had to help her go to the bathroom. She'd have a prolapse. So I'd literally have to fasten like a little like diaper for her,
2: mm-hmm. she was,
1: but she was like the coolest personality. Um, you know, we took in some like, requ- uh, retired breeders from underground that, needed hospice one was like special needs so it just like the rehome the rescue like it just kind of happened
2: mm-hmm.
1: all started giving us these creatures um it evolved very naturally yeah it was very organic
0: mm-hmm. and then going back a little bit your mm-hmm. educational background like when you were in college it isn't
1: animal related is it no english, english. i have formal animal education mm-hmm Oh, and I'm very open about that because it impresses me so much. Like I'm so enamored and admire the people who do have go to school for that. Cause I can't even imagine the work that goes into that. Mm-hmm. Um, my degree is in English. My career is in English for now
2: mm-hmm. I hope
1: that, um, but correct. So all of my training and the education that I've learned has been Through books, through hobby, through training and working along people um, and having mentors, even to this day, having mentors um, for the species that I'm interested in and, you know, running a sanctuary and things like that.
0: So when you started getting these rescue animals from different people, I feel like that's something that happens to a lot of people, especially with reptiles where, you know, people find out you have reptiles and then they just start like trying to pawn things off on you. Yeah. I work for a reptile rescue. So I see that all the time and it happens oh, to yeah. myself too. Um, so when was the transition from uh, reptiles into mammals specifically?
1: So we, we were living in our apartment and I have to share too, we actually had five and I know that this can be controversial, but we had five free roaming tegus
0: were they all a single um like a certain species like argentine black and whites or
1: we had one colombian okay one red two black and whites we had a blue excuse me two reds because we had yeah the two one was our female persephone was hospice yeah so it was a variety but we mm-hmm. did again and we had a couple different basking areas set up and we'd like take them outside and we'd just bathe them every single day and like you know make sure they got their humidity and they were great mm-hmm. um so obviously we needed a bigger boat house mm-hmm. um and before we moved in i got i saw a sugar glider you know and i'd go on these little tyrants where i was i was so bad man i was like literally i look back on it now and like i was very impulsive we were very impulsive with getting these species you know mm-hmm. and we, Learn and we've kept them through their whole lives, and we've changed our lifestyle to like make it work. I'll share more about my impulsivity when I got my first kinkajou, but I like to be upfront about that as well because you know I advise people to take time before getting these species from reptiles to anything, and it's literally because you know I've lived, I've lived through it, I've lived and learned, and I made a lot of mistakes, and I had mm-hmm. to fix those mistakes, and I'd had to change my ways. Um, so I got my first sugar glider. And I knew at that point I was exposed and I'll be 100% honest, I saw the little foxes, the red foxes at underground. Man, underground, total gateway, perfect word for it. I was like, I have to have this, I have to. So when we moved into our house, which we're here now, um, I was, we knew that we were going to have venomous and we were going to have mammals. We were gonna have exotic mammals, we were gonna have a fox. So, um, you know, we moved in here Mike was just about to get his venomous permit, his license, down here in Florida. And um, I did get a fox. My first fox came from underground. And then I really started kind of like researching. I was kind of curious where these these animals came from. I did a little more back research. And again, at this point, we'll consider it hearsay because I'd never want to. I mean, underground, we have a great relationship with them. So Mm -hmm. this is by no reflection of them. And mm-hmm. this is like I said, hearsay so, but I did hear through the grapevine that these foxes were actually from fur farms, that they were, you know, ranch raised. And that got me more interested in in that. I'm like, well, wait a minute. So these animals could be coming from fur farms. And if they're not, you know, if this isn't true, they are coming from fur farms somewhere. When I moved into our home, I got interested in I got exposed to the Amnesty Adopter program in Florida. Mm-hmm. And what this is is Florida Fish and Wildlife has these. Days where people can come drop off their animals, domestic Mm -hmm. exotics, not cats, dogs, but you know, I don't know, ferrets and sugar gliders, Mm -hmm. hundreds of ball pythons, and of course, (laughs) Um, and I learned that I could be a registered adopter, so I could. Oh my god, my red foot keeps falling on her back, driving me (laughs) nuts. We'll figure it out. So I learned that, you know, there was a program for this. So I was like, okay, well, if I did this and what if I was able to start having, like finding appropriate homes for these animals? Mm -hmm. So it could be a dealer too, which means that you could bring them into your care and then rehome them. So can you really
0: fast, these amnesty adoption days, what what Mm -hmm. are those?
1: So they're days in Florida and it's run by Florida Fish and Wildlife where you can come drop off your Mm -hmm. animals without penalty. So, you can drop off your in Florida, we're ranked class one, two, and three animals.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Three would be a kinkajou, it would be a, a fox, it would be a lemur. You know, I'm sure that class two and class one, which are your more, I mean, let's say your elephant or your Komodo dragon,
2: they're mm-hmm.
1: not through an amnesty day. You're most likely going to, you know, they're going to receive those animals and deal with them appropriately.
2: hmm.
0: So does that, does that mean that essentially you're like, Hey, I have this animal. I can't take care of it. You can't find me for not taking care of a property or for not right. having right permits. Okay.
1: Right. Right. So they have these drop-off points all over the state a couple times a year. They'll go from like a certain point in the morning, they can come drop off. And again, you just drop off, you leave them, you fill out a form. Mm-hmm. And then the adopters come in in the afternoon and it's like a lottery system is this a perfect system? Absolutely not. It's pretty disheartening. It's very simple. Mm-hmm. Don't go to them anymore,
2: mm-hmm.
1: but you draw a number, you get in the line. All these animals are like lined up in like kind of a, a circle and maybe like a, a trailer and you walk through and you, if you do one at a time, say, I want that one. And then you can get back in line to come through again. Wow. Typically lots of sugar gliders,
2: mm-hmm.
1: pythons beardies. Um, those have always been like the top, top ones. I see lots of tortoises. And then in addition to that, throughout the year, they'll send out emails to the adopters. Like I've been getting emails recently, sugar gliders, where people want to rehome their sugar gliders. So, you know, it's the state working to help these animals get into different hands, because I can't say that there's much of a vetting process for becoming mm-hmm you apply for it but I understand that in having a vetting process for that that's more manpower and that's more money so mm-hmm. you know,
0: but it's it's hard to do hard a vetting process so. when it could yep. be someone coming home with a bearded dragon versus a kinkajou oh yeah
1: oh you yeah know? yeah yeah I will say the only time I've been to one they um they had a, a pearl fox which is a red fox it's mm-hmm. just color morph And what they did was um, they took everyone who had a particular kind of license for a class three mammal and they put all their names in a hat and they drew out a name. And the woman who did get this particular fox had never had a fox before in her life.
0: Oh, that's,
1: (laughs) it's not an easy pet. No, I ran over, I gave her my contact information. I helped her get her fox settled. Um, I actually helped her later on get a companion for the fox. And then I found out a couple years later that she surrendered the fox to a sanctuary down in the Keys, both of the foxes to the Keys. So like I said, again, it's no perfect system because it's Mm -hmm. exchanged multiple hands. Mm -hmm. Definitely now they're in the right place. But um, it's just so sad. I mean, I speak for the kinkajous, man, but it's just across the board there. And it's not just reptiles or exotics. It's every animal. It's domestics. It's everything.
0: Yeah. And I think that's, it's interesting because I've been thinking a lot right now, you know, we are in the midst of COVID and such yeah. of all of the COVID kittens and COVID puppies and yeah. how they're doing great right now. But I have a feeling that when life gets back to something more normal, we're going to see a huge boom in animals being returned to shelters because- <laughs> a lot of people take on these animals and right now they have time to spend with the animal, but they're the developing animals that are going to have anxiety problems or separation issues. Oh, yeah. And they haven't taken the time to, um, you know, properly train them. Yeah. And in that, and even if it's a cat or a dog, that changing of hands so frequently, that's where a lot of the behavioral issues come up.
1: Yep. 100%, 100%.
0: So you mentioned that you wanted to help be a coordinator for these events or, or you're looking into that. So where did you go from there?
1: So not necessarily coordinator. I always wanted to just do it. I wanted to just do it myself. Mm-hmm. I was exposed to the event. I knew that it existed. The program existed. So I applied and I figured maybe this is something I can do in my home. You know, we have the space now. I think at this point too, I'd gotten you know, I had a couple of sugar gliders, you know, I got a companion for my guy. Um, I did take on a second fox, so you know, my boys had companion, you know. So we just decided to, you know, I was like, hey, I'm going to create like a little organization, like this is going to be cool. It's going to be like a hobby, you know. It's kind of like a side <laughs> to help the animals.
0: You thought so, it was just going to so, be a hobby.
1: I thought so, right? <laughs> so at this point too, like. I hadn't finished college yet because of, you know, getting sober. And that's a huge, huge, huge part of this whole story, too, is that, you know, this is all within my first three and a half years of getting sober. The Mm -hmm. first in Florida, Um, you know, so us moving, me establishing my old organization, um, you know, really getting into the rescue and rehome. I hadn't finished my college degree yet. So, you know, I was working in the treatment industry thinking I wanted to be a therapist. So it was kind of like, I'm taking on all of these different, um, I'm just trying all these things out. I'm still trying to like really find myself and I'm mm-hmm. trying to sober, you know, which is not an easy feat. So it was just like, okay. So I started getting, you know, more and more into like getting deep, you know, into the animals and we were taking it. I just, I couldn't say no to anything, man. It just, there were so many creatures that needed homes. So, I mean, from ball pythons to we took in a Cody, I had opossums, I had skunks, lots of different bearded dragons, tons of sugar gliders. You know, it just kept growing and growing. Um, I ended up bringing down from Minnesota a, a fur farm fox, a little girl um, with three legs. Oh. Um, and she was amazing. Um, you know, so it just, it got so big so fast. Mm-hmm. I was working second shift. I was staying up all night with the animals. I was sleeping a little bit during the day, not taking care of my sobriety, not taking care of myself. Um, During this point too, Michael actually got bit. He was training um, to get his hours and he got bit by a rattlesnake.
0: Oh man. And that's that's just not, that's not good at any time, (laughs) but amidst everything else.
1: No time. time. Full recovery, thank God. God is licensed we started keeping the snake. So, I mean, this version of what I had going was just, there was no boundaries. My mental health was not good. I became so consumed in helping animals. I couldn't say no to anything. At one point I took in 72 hamsters. I mean, an idea that like, it was just chaos. It was, Mm -hmm. I had good intentions. I really did. Yeah, absolutely you know, we had a lot of space in the garage and we put some animals out in the backyard and it just, I ended up getting, um, like a facility down the street, we needed some off-site space. so like, okay, we're going to do this. We're going to become a nonprofit. Um, cause at this point, you know, it was just, I have like a little adoption fee, you mm-hmm. know, and, um, and we were, we were helping a lot of creatures. You know, we brought in some foxes that we were able to rehome. I was doing, um, education events. So we are taking reptiles and mammals out to, you know, talk to the community. We are doing that regularly. Um, I do like a birthday party here or there, you know, kind of whatever I could to make end meet, ends meet. I did graduate from college. Um, I finished at Penn State. And, um, so that was great. But it just, I mean, I think at one point we had like 70 or 80 animals, you know, in our care between here and the facility. And a lot of them, you know, were growing to be mammals and
0: and did you ever, when you were getting into to mammals specifically, did you ever have any intention to breed or was that anything that was exciting to you or were you purely always in a rescue kind of rehab mindset?
1: This version, this like part one, I wanted to breed. I did breed a couple sugar gliders. I, I wanted to, I really had no luck doing it. Thank God. Um, when I first got and I'll share in a second how I got my first kink but when I got Arkham and got then later his wife I call her Gotham mm-hmm. um, wanted to breed them you know um, but again it was like all of this was so it was kind of like me taking this whim and running with it and again uh-huh. like, it intentions but it wasn't like I was networking with other places um, you know I was getting into things and I wasn't researching them. I was kind of figuring it out. As I went, I was reaching out to people as I needed to, Mm -hmm. um, like I said, focusing on community outreach. So like the community actually, like we became very well known fast. We built a really large Instagram following quickly because that was the different algorithm and it was new, you know, Mm -hmm. um, Facebook. So we were great on the social medias. We had volunteers. Like it was, it was great for what it was at that point in time. Um,
0: and what were you called back then
1: uh scales and fur
0: scales and fur okay
1: yep scales and fur very, and,
0: original. <laughs> very original
1: I was like up oh, scales and fur it's like so, what do
0: i see scales and, and fur okay let's go
1: <laughs> got, i got my business license and all that so all of it and it was all legal too of course mm-hmm. I licenses i always made sure i was very good with that but so um oh i guess a little bit before we got the facility so um I had a friend at the time that, uh, had gotten a baby kinkajou, Mm -hmm. met her kink within 48 hours. I took a loan out from my bank and purchased Arkham from underground reptiles. So what, wow.
0: Okay. So what does a kinkajou run in, in the pet trade at that time versus now? obviously we're not encouraging anyone to purchase a kinkajou but i just want to know like what was it that you are kind of putting forth to this animal that you really didn't have a lot of
1: information about
0: uh three thousand dollars okay so it's a hefty it's a hefty under,
1: yeah yeah just under three thousand dollars um i do not to this you know at this point getting them from an exotic pet shop absolutely not you know Mm -hmm. someone who's getting it from a breeder there's an upcharge they're not responsible. And that's just across the board. It Mm -hmm. is across the board for any mammal should not be sold in these exotic pet shops that someone can walk in, see how cute they are and get them. Mm -hmm. Um, and again, I'm just speaking for where I speak now. I mean, you could say that about any exotic creature. Mm -hmm. So, um, So yeah, so I was bringing home, and not just that, I'm bringing home a four-week-old, so kinkajou. Wow. You know, before, but I had experience, so they were like, yeah, sure, take them.
0: And was, at four weeks old, is a kinkajou weaned?
1: No. Okay. No. In the wild, a kinkajou stays with its family for about six months. Wow. Stays with mom for a while. Any credible breeder is going to have the kink, stay with the mom as long as possible, but they're not going to send you home with it until it's at least two months.
2: Mm-hmm. This
1: kinkajou and Arkham and he, okay, I was told he was four weeks. He looked young. He could have been three. So he was taken too early from mom, mm-hmm. you know, huge advocate of having them stay with mom as long as possible. Mm-hmm. So I brought him home and um, I mean, he was my child. I took him everywhere. I, uh, bottle fed him. I had babysitters when I was at work. I let him free roam the house. He did have a little cage, but he free roamed the house. I stayed up with him at night and he was great. He was Mm -hmm. little, you know, I used to take him out in public. And then, um, that was in September of 2016. I want to say 2016, maybe 2015. 2015. So 2016, I brought home Gotham. Mm-hmm. And with her, again, would not recommend, but I took, uh, I financed her at an exotic pet shop because mm-hmm. we're still working in the treatment industry. I'm not making money, you know, I'm not bringing in money from the rescue to pay mm-hmm. myself. That was just all for the animals. And um, my job was paying my bills, you know, I didn't have savings. So I financed Gotham. Got her from an exotic shop up north Florida. She arrives. I told she was a baby. <laughs> like clearly an adult. Um, traced her roots. She was a wild caught import. So thank God she landed here. But thank God we had Arkham because Arkham truly helped her come out of her shell. So I've got him. God bless her. He's a baby. She's like six or seven years old. So they're like, I mean, to this day, they're totally attached, but I wanted to breed them. Mm-hmm. This is great. I love this. kinkajus are so easy. And I was lucky that them was not aggressive for being. Yeah. That's packed. what I was going to ask. Were there any issues
0: at the beginning? Cause especially, um, I've talked with you pretty like in detail about this, but can you, before we get into your desire to breathe them, can you talk a little bit about, um, like the temperament change with most exotics when they hit puberty time.
1: Oh yeah. Yeah. And I'll, I'll use Arkham as that example, because that was big. Perfect. Then let's keep we'll going. Yeah. We'll come into that. Yeah. Cause that's Kinkatopia. Um, <laughs> so Gotham's like, I call her my unicorn. Gotham is aloof. She doesn't want to be pet. She doesn't want to be held. She did bite me. She arrived. Mm-hmm. Um, Because, you know, I'm used to a baby kinkajou. I just reached in the crate to grab her. She got my Mm -hmm. arm. She didn't get as bad as she could, but man, I deserved it. Mm -hmm. Um, And to this day, she's the only kinkajou here who's not fixed. The only one, just because there hasn't been a reason to. Mm
2: -hmm. Um,
1: She's the only kinkajou I trust my back to. She does not have an aggressive bone in her body. She can come out in the house. She won't like, she's not destructive she just she's a lady she wants to do her own thing
2: her
1: mm-hmm. into a corner you know she'll take food from my hand she'll come when she calls she'll go back to her room um she's special you know that is
0: that is just so I, every time you talk about her I'm just in awe because the fact that she was yeah. wild caught an right. adult and the fact that she is just I mean the nicest of your animals is phenomenal yeah. it's very yeah. lucky
1: yeah oh yeah yeah she's very gentle Um, But in the beginning, she was very scared, you know, it's taken a lot to get her to adjust, but um, she is, she's, and like I said, she is a unicorn. She is like the 0.5%, you know, this is not normal. Um, But so Arkham, of course, you know, because I knew better and this is, you know, me, I'm gonna breed them, I'm gonna breed them. And everyone kept telling me, including my veterinarian was telling me, you cannot breed these animals and have a pet quality, pet quality kinkajous. You're gonna ruin your relationship. And I'd say, Mm-mm, I'm different. I'm different. Alex, they need to have a big cage. You can't let them free roam. No, 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 I'm different. So towards the end of 2016, um, Arkham was a year and he did start to hit puberty, start biting people. Oh, so, um, it was kind of sporadic. Um, but, you know, it was just kind of like, okay, you know, we kind of reached a point where I was like, okay, so I'm the only one that can handle him. It's mm-hmm. fine. I will, you know, I'm still going to breed them because I desperately wanted this baby kinkajou. Um, I stopped taking him out in public, um, you know, and up until this point too, I mean, I look at people now who take the babies out in public. I had no idea, man. I had no idea how I was putting my animal and myself at risk. hmm and I just thought I knew better. It was like, it was, there was so much ego, and especially like my drug addiction man loved it. Loved the attention, loved the ego, loved the social media, loved, you know, having this animal empire. It took me away from my recovery. I was consumed. It literally became my higher power. Like it just, mm-hmm. I did nothing but this, you know. So Arkham's biting. And um, I'll come back more into his aggression because what happened was I, I relapsed. I relapsed at the end of 2016. Um, I went back to using heroin in Florida. This is the first time I used heroin in Florida. Um, and I, I got arrested in March of 2017. Thank God, because I literally need a physical barricade between me and my drug, right? hmm so this is like a huge pivotal point in me and the animal industry. Um, I know you brought up how we're going to talk about being a woman in this industry, but I want to talk about someone having a disability, mm-hmm. um, even though I hate to use that word, but someone who does suffer from mental illness. Mm-hmm. Um, so I got arrested when I got um, arrested, Michael had, the animals removed from my facility and the foxes removed from my home and some of the animals here and had them go to who I thought was a friend at the time but went to a different sanctuary. So by the time, and I was just in jail overnight, but by the time I got out, you know, he had me set up to go to treatment and he wanted to propose me having the chance to get sober again. Um, But he didn't want the animals here for me to use them as an an excuse to stay. Mm -hmm. He took the time to make sure that the animals were safe so I could make this decision. He kept Arkham and Gotham here, thank God. And like uh, our flying squirrel and our ferrets, everyone else was moved. So I decided to go to treatment on the fly, left Arkham and Gotham, my heart, and this was, you know, I had relapsed before I'd relapsed before many times, chronic or I've been to treatment five, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. I'd always gotten everything back very quickly. Um, they say in recovery that you'll lose everything overnight. I never thought that I would lose what I built with the animals overnight.
2: Mm-hmm
1: literally it was gone overnight. So people got a hold of my arrest information which has different charges on it than what I was actually charged for. So it looks like I'm like this heroin kingpin, manufacturing uh these drugs and selling them like and having my organization as like a cover. It was mm-hmm. in, it was in the newspapers, it was in the evening news. My best friend at the time and some other people who were involved in helping me um, are the ones that brought this to the news. So this is the animal community. These are people that I thought were my friends. Mm -hmm. Um, and as soon as there was an opportunity to get me away from the industry, they took it. Mm -hmm. And Um,
0: if I can ask a question, I know that now you're very open about your struggles and you obviously, you know, you're obviously Mm -hmm. very open before you had this relapse. Was this something that people in the industry knew about you? Or were you still trying to kind of hide it a little bit more?
1: I was, I was casual about it, but like now I yell it from the rooftops mm-hmm. and I can talk about that too, because it's something that has helped form my organization now and me as a person, um, you know, in the past, yeah, I'd like tell people it didn't bother me, but I wasn't like, it wasn't literally like threaded within um, my social media and,
2: Mm
1: -hmm. you know, now it's like, it's a presence. It's part of the organization.
2: Mm -hmm. Um,
1: And I use that for accountability, but also to like show awareness and help others, um, have people that can relate. But I mean, it was just something like, yeah, okay. Yeah. Oh yeah. I'm a recovering heroin addict. You know, like it just, it was there. It was a a fact. It just like, it didn't have a life form. Mm -hmm. So, um, you know, but it got, it got so bad so quickly. And, you know, I take full, 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 uh, responsibility for my actions. You know, I was sick. I was using drugs. I could have done better by all the animals in my care. No one was neglected. No one was dying. No, you know, that's no excuse. They deserved better. You know, mm-hmm. cage cleaned every other day instead of every day, like they deserved better. I will own that. Um, I don't like to use my disease as an excuse, but I was sick, you know, and I live every day now making living amends for that situation and making sure that these animals have the absolute best care possible. So, mm-hmm. but it got really bad really quickly. Um, I was in detox and then I went to treatment and I had no idea the magnitude of like the chaos that was ensuing here. Um, my family had to shut down my social media. Uh, I was getting death threats. People were sharing my, my mugshot. All these rumors were going around that my animals were taken. I had a facility filled with dead animals, all this stuff. My animals were confiscated by the FWC. It was like, it was insane.
2: Mm-hmm. And
1: that didn't happen, you know? And now every once in a while, you know, someone will be like, oh, I know who she is. She's a terrible person you know, that's fine. And people just don't know any better and that's okay.
2: Mm -hmm. But if
1: five minutes to like search the, um, databases, you know, uh, to see if I had any charges brought forth for any of these rumors, I didn't, if, you know, it just, I've got a great relationship with the USDA, the FWC, and they actually even supported me through this situation, um, found ways to, you know, try to make everything not go away, but calm everything down mm-hmm. He stood by Michael. Cause he had to step in for me while I was in treatment. Um, so the agencies really like help cover him with the situation. And they were amazing in this to the, to this day, like I'll sing praises for them because they've always had my back. Mm-hmm. Um, so it was crazy. It was chaotic. Um, so I was in treatment for two and a half months. During that time, Arkham's hormones are right. And he doesn't like Michael.
0: Is that correct?
1: No, not now. Arkham is, I mean, I can't handle him now either, but um, he doesn't like Michael because Michael's a guy.
0: That's what I was going to ask. Are they, do they generally like men over women or?
1: Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, I had to pick up and leave overnight. You know, the Kinkajous definitely should have been in a bigger cage. You know, they were like, I don't know, maybe in like an eight by three or something like that. Like they needed a larger cage. Mm -hmm. They didn't have activities, you know, fortunately my neighbor and Michael fed them every single day and kept them here. Um, you know, and that's why to this day, I mean, Arkham and Gotham are like great homebodies they're like introverts with their you know their cages because they've got 30 feet of space Mm -hmm. and are like come out and play and then be like I'm cool chilling in for the evening you know and he like yeah (laughs) but um
0: the grandparents of kinkatopia
1: yeah yeah (laughs) um it just you know it was the worst case scenario and everyone did the absolute best that they can and I'm so grateful because I came home I got another chance to get sober. I went through probation. Um, I'm happy to say that I completed drug court. My records expunged in all areas of any time I've ever gotten into trouble, which have all been drug related. Um, My disease turns me into a monster. Mm -hmm. Um, It was a heartbreaking time for everyone involved and any life involved, but the blessings today are unreal. Unfortunately, I never did get my animals back. I did close scales and fur. I had to. I took a year away from the animal community because it was so brutal. I couldn't go on social media. Uh, it was like a witch hunt. It was nasty. People were nasty. I think a lot was fear based. And I think that anytime you come into anything dealing with animals, and I do the same, you see something where you think that animals are in chaos or they're not being kept right. And the first instinct is to bash someone or Mm -hmm. they're keeping and not maybe take circumstances into consideration. Mm
2: -hmm.
1: So I wholeheartedly accept that. I don't hold it against anyone. Um, You know, it is what it is. It was a shitty situation and I'll do whatever I can to come back from it. The news story kind of pops up from here and there and haunts me and it sucks. I've tried writing the news station, you know, and they have no interest in, Responding or taking anything down. I'm not gonna sit here and try to take them the quarter. or anything. It just it's mm-hmm. fake news. It is what it is. Unfortunately, I never got my animals back. And that's something that I struggle with to this day. That the person that the animals went to, especially my foxes, who are my heart, um, he made them disappear. And um, I never heard from them again. I never found them. Uh, but I believe. Having a higher power that the animals are cared for,
2: mm-hmm.
1: um, his sanctuary got shut down a year later for uh, neglect and mm-hmm. their legal issues, and fortunately, none of my animals were there at the time. So mm-hmm. happy about that. Yeah, um, it's definitely a blessing. Yeah, um, but you know, it. Like I said, I believe that they're somewhere and they're okay. You know, so I took a year off from the industry. Two, three days after I got home, um, I had my first encounter with Arkham attacking me. Hmm. So they're all welcome these- home. Yeah. Welcome home, mom. All these people got bit. All these people like four or five. Okay. He wasn't like a masochist. Um, he doesn't have a rap sheet. God, mm-hmm. the- <laughs> I had him out. And he was cuddling on me, loving me. I actually have this picture of him like entwined in my sports brawl and he's just like sitting here. <laughs> then seconds later, he was biting my foot. He was in my forearms. He was on my hands. He was like a zombie. They can turn so quickly and it's not just hormonally based. It's also they're raccoons. You try to take something away from them they're going to lash out at you. So, um, he was a hot mess. I was a hot mess. <laughs> he, um, he got me pretty good. He even uh, managed to stick himself in the top of my kneecap. So he injured me pretty good. Mm-hmm. Um, I had a, a court date for probation and you have to go up in front of the judge and I'm like limping. <laughs> oh, no, what happened to you? And I'm like, I can't you bit me. <laughs> oh,
0: no, that, that doesn't help.
1: <laughs> You're what? Yeah, I know. But, um, It sucked, man. It sucked. I was hurt more emotionally with my relationship with this creature.
0: So when you say that, like he, he obviously bit you, but they also have pretty significant claws. Is that correct?
1: Oh yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Also to get around the treetops, they've got a prehensile tail to help Mm -hmm. hold on. They do have these hardcore claws, man, hardcore. So when they're biting you, their jaws like a vice, they lock their jaw and they do have full fangs like cat fangs. Like I said, they're derived from carnivores. So mm-hmm. they, they've they got their claws in you and they're constricting their tail around you. So it's this animal that you literally have suction cupped on you. Mm-hmm. Um painful as all hell. So your adrenaline's rushing, you're trying to remove, you know, I try to remove him and he just roll over onto another limb. I mean, they're crazed. You get him uh off of you, he's your magnet he's back on you it is a super violent unpredictable excuse me attack so that started happening with him and because I was in disbelief I didn't want to believe it it did take about five really really bad bites for me to realize that there needed to be something needed to change
0: Mm -hmm. and was he attacking Gotham at this point Oh no.
1: Oh no. No, they, they loved just each other. Like a married couple. Yeah. It's okay. just me. It was me. So it kind of grew into, it was hormones. It was territory and I wouldn't let him around anyone else at this point. So he mm-hmm. was for me. Um, we moved him from, you know, I said that they were in that cage. We moved them into a 30 by nine foot by nine space. So he had a giant enclosure. He was just a hot mess, hormones. So I'm like, okay, crap, you know. And again, him and Gotham are fine. They mm-hmm. have, I mean, they have their tiffs. They're very vocal. They yell at each other. We're a married couple. <laughs> so, um, you know, it was just like, okay, so clearly there's a problem. Last time he bit me, he actually pulled the inside of my palm out.
2: So Oof. that
1: it really made me realize that, like, there needs to be a solution. So I started reaching out to vets and, um, Everyone was basically like, oh, he's a year and a half. It's too late. Don't waste your money. Don't waste your time. He's always going to be like that. And I'm just like, listen, there has to be like, I've got no hope. Oh, well, you should get rid of him. Okay, I'm not getting rid of him. Like, I'm we're gonna do anything we can for these animals. Mm -hmm. So um there is a sanctuary down here called McCarthy's Wildlife Sanctuary. And on a whim, I emailed them and their their husband and wife own it, and the wife. Anneth called, uh, offered to have a, a conference call with me, which at that time too, was like, oh my God, like no one in the animal industry, you know, I was blacklisted, you know, this was amazing. Mm-hmm. So she spent an hour on the phone with me where she shared that she had the same situation happen. Okay. She had to, her guy, I think his name was Louie. She had to accept what was happening, Pro, you know, uh, show up for the commitment that, you know, she committed to this animal and find a way to make sure all of his needs were met and find another way to have a relationship with him. So I get off the phone with her and I'm like, okay, this sounds like recovery to me. You know, I just called someone like a sponsor or mentor. They told me their experience, what worked for them. And um, they're telling me acceptance. They're telling me change. This is literally what I'm living right now. So let's, Let's see what we can do with us. So sure enough, um, I trained Arkham to, he lived in his room, but I trained him to come to my sliding glass doors for our indoor enclosure and give me his tail. So Mm -hmm. I pull him out and put him in a kennel. Uh, They have a prehensile tail, so you can hold them by their tail safely. Mm -hmm. So with this training, now I could get him into a crate. I could safely be in his enclosure to make sure he had enrichment to make sure he had proper diet, make sure it was cleaned. And then I could sit with him at this kennel and, you know, talk to him and hang out. Cause you could look at him and see that like, I was still mom, he -hmm. loved me, he's just a wild animal. Yeah, absolutely. So we found that solution, right? So then ironically dial it back a little bit when I was in treatment, um, when I was getting high I did all of the paperwork. And I applied successfully and got my IRS 501c3 nonprofit license. So I researched that. We did the application, everything we needed. So I received my 501c3 status like within my first week of treatment and like knowing that I just had to close my organization and now I have, or it was like, okay. So I sat on it for a year. So I said to Michael, explain to him you know kinkajus man kinkajus need a voice during the time of trying to find people to help me with arkham it became so apparent that so many of them were rehomed and so many people you know like as i was reaching out to these different places oh this isn't an uncommon problem so it was like okay then why did none of us have a solution where's the community for this so that's when I started talking to Michael and it was within my first year of sobriety. So I'm like, I want to have a kinkajou organization. And he's like, oh my God, like here, we go. <laughs> this is no, we can't. Like, I just went through all of this with you. Like, mm-hmm. so it started to approach my one year anniversary and he's like, okay, you know what? Do it. Do Kinkajus. Fine. Okay. I'm going to do Kinkajus. So he came up with the name Kinkatopia started to change all the paperwork. I took all my tax money from, you know, that I received early in 2018. We invested into starting to revamp the indoor room and we were going to have the world's first kinkajou Sanctuary. So I researched it, nothing existed at this point, still doesn't. So in March of 2018, which is, March is my anniversary month, I had one year sober and we launched Kinktopia. We launched it on Instagram. And we joke because Michael is like, yeah, do kinkajous. He never thought that we'd get kinkajous for like a year or two. He's like, there's no way this will take off. 48 hours of posting on Instagram, we got a call for Chloe. Um, and within a couple of weeks, she arrived. Um, two months later, trash can came. You know, I think we took in four our first year, um,
0: so sure. when, you're, when you're taking these in, what's generally the situation that they're coming from? Are you getting calls from private owners? Are you getting calls from breeders? Is it just people? I was going to make a joke of people who find them on the street, but that's trash can. That's trash so. can. <laughs> you did find no, them no. on the street. <laughs>
1: it's so true. Um, it's primarily people who got them as pets realize that they are not pets and surrender them. Um, fortunately, the ones that are here have taken the time to scout me out. They want them to come and have a better life. Uh-huh. Um, but typically it's because they want them to have companions. Um, they are, I hate to say tired of, but like the routine of having one, you know, you get six, seven years into having a kinkajou that needs the level of attention. It's nocturnal. It gets moody if it's out of its routine. You know, people don't realize how long they live for. hmm uh-huh. And the commitment and they want them to have a better life which is true they come here and have a better life um did i say moving moving's a big one um aggression aggression's another big one so that's kind of like the mixed pot that we have here um do people often
0: have to have licenses to keep kinkajous like is it ever a legality issue in one state versus another
1: correct so depending on your state and sometimes not even your state, your county or your, your like township, um, there are different ordinances for different, uh, Kinkajous for Mm -hmm. different, for different places for Kinkajous. So like in Florida, you need a permit Uh, North Carolina. It depends on what County you live in. Um, Mm -hmm. don't require it at all. So it's completely, there's no perfect system. It's just state to state. Um, so, um, yeah. And I do run into a lot of people that don't have permits and I help them get permits in Florida because I know, you know, the law's here. Mm-hmm. So I, with Michael, I'm like the FWC has no idea, like the service that I'm trying to do. And that's like, make sure all of these are legal too, outside of me. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, I like to do that frequently to help people. But, um, so we launched Kinkatopia in March, 2018. And like I said, it all happened quickly. I did end up taking the plunge and getting Arkham neutered towards the end of my first year. So when we realized, and like my gut always told me that there were so many of these animals that needed this, that they needed a voice. I had no idea in the grand scheme of things, how many there really were. Mm -hmm. And um, we took in Binks, who was nine months old when he came to us in November of 2018 and when we got him, I said, we need to neuter Arkham. There's no reason for me to breed. There are too many kinkajous in the world. What was I thinking? Mm-hmm. Um, so we had him neutered and he is still aggressive to this day. He's not i like, I can't handle him. No one can handle him. He has to be enclosed whenever people come over, if they're going to see the kinks. Um, but with training and CBD and his neuter, um, I can safely be in the room from time to time with them. It depends on the day. Sometimes he's more moody. Um, but sometimes I can kind of come in and feed them, you know, and do what I need to. He's a lot calmer
2: mm-hmm. uh,
1: Been what, two years since he got neutered. Um, so, yeah, man, we just took off Kinkatopia. I mean, it took off, but, you know, scales and fur was its animal on its own. Mm-hmm. Um, it grew way too big, too fast. With Kinkatopia, what I've always done is one, keep my recovery in the forefront of every single day, Mm -hmm. but we're not trying to grow without our means. Um, It's taken a lot to rebuild my reputation. You know, it's taken a lot to come back to the animal world, to come back to social media. We had, I was on, got on social media right after we launched Kinkatopia And someone like called and reported me to the state for like saying that I killed one of my foxes. And like our inspector knows us well enough. He called Mike and he's like, listen, he's like, I'm not even gonna come out and like give this any thought. I'm just gonna call you and tell you it happened. So I can like, you know, he could say that he followed up.
2: Mm -hmm.
1: People are just so malicious in this community. Mm -hmm. Malicious, it's very toxic. It's very competitive. That being said on the flip side, there are also some really, really good people out there. You just mm-hmm. need to be very guarded. There's mm-hmm. a lot of people that have ulterior motives, um, you know, and that's just it is what it is. It's, but, you know, I wish that we could have more love for humans in an industry that we're working for a common goal. And I really wish that we could have more unity for that common goal. Mm -hmm. you know um so kinkatopia has grown we're coming up on three years and god willing i'm coming up on four years sober next month we have 14 kinkajus here we're welcoming a 15th coming from texas um two of them are boarding long-term i'm (laughs) co-parenting it has completely grown from the indoor room to wow to enclosures to having all of this absolutely incredible support and funding by people who believe in our mission. Um, We've helped over 53 Kinkajus to date find permanent homes. Uh, I do place them in zoos and sanctuaries and with credible private owners outside of Kinkatopia because right now, obviously, I have so much space um, and I don't want to take on more than I can because it's not good for my mental health and it's Mm -hmm. not the animals. Um, The dream right now is to fund Kinkatopia so I can get a salary and we can buy property and have a full swing open to the public nocturnal sanctuary where we can help more on a couple acres. So funding now is our next goal. Um, So I can make this life. So yeah, it it is something, man. It is Beyond. It's incredible. <laughs> it's, yeah. it's great.
0: I mean, I think we've been, I would say, we, I think it's coming up on like one year of us being friends, I think, yeah. which is so fun. Um, And it's been great to see you grow and, and how much you've expanded in this past year. I would love to talk a little bit. We'll we'll get into how people can support you with funding and stuff at the end. Yeah. I'll make sure that we put all that information out there because I'm a part of your Patreon. There's great ways to give back and, and help support your cause. Um, but I know this past year you have seen explosive growth on TikTok. And yeah. I would love to talk about how um how does that work as far as you know I I feel like you see sometimes those judgmental comments or people trying to shut you down in that regard. How has TikTok helped your growth and how has it also been Potentially like more detrimental. Like, how has that experience been for you? Mm-hmm.
1: That's a really good question. TikTok's a blessing and a curse. We are blessed that it did blow up from September until now. Um, it's been so the benefits, right? Mm-hmm are that we're getting more exposure and more exposure means more donations. Um, it's incredible how people have come to love these animals the way that I do and have joined our family and they want to support and, you know, they come to our page daily because they want to see what we're posting. You know, I'm very active on mm-hmm. their post times a day. My little they sister know-
0: texted me and she goes, did you see that yes. new picture of trash can? And I was like, of course, <laughs> <laughs>
1: I love it. And it's just, it's crazy. Um, you know, it's helped our Instagram grow. Um, we've been on some viral, you know, we've had some viral videos that we've been able to, um, contract, you know, and they go on bigger sites. Um, we're having like this little piece done by, um, jungle creations now Mm -hmm like taking a collaboration and interviewed me. So we're having like a piece done, you know, it's amazing. We were interviewed by, um, Robert Downey Jr. Has a new show called the bond, uh, a casting agent called us and we did a full interview for them. So we're waiting, wow. we'd have an opportunity to have an hour long show for discovery done on us, mm-hmm. which would be amazing. So the exposure is just like absolutely unreal. Um, on a whim, I joined the creator fund in January. And unfortunately, like our views have plummeted the involvement. I mean, people are still amazing and like keeping up, but like, you know, in the grand scheme of things, I'd much rather continue to grow our following and our family because the support that people do donate is it's great.
2: Mm -hmm. Um,
1: You know, I'd rather have that larger following to have that backing than like, I'm getting, you know, a couple dollars a day now at this point for videos because they limit your views so much. So mm-hmm. um, probably going to get out of that at the end of February. So that's been a curse. That's been a curse. Um, and it's been a little um, disheartening, you know, it's like, Hey guys, come on. Um, especially when we can use that money to expand, you know, right. put into the animals, but where it's a curse is I'm showing this animal that's adorable that not many people know exists. So by exposing it more for Kinkatopia to get our message out there, there's this double-edged sword where I'm exposing an animal that could potentially work against our mission because now people see them and they're like, this is so great. I want one.
2: Mm -hmm.
1: Oh, and that's been an issue in social media across the board, you know, as the platforms can have come in and out and been popular, as we were Facebook into Instagram and now TikTok, um, and increasing the it, it it can potentially add to the problem, you know. So I try to be vocal in our mission. I try to answer every comment. I try to use trends to show people that they're not pets,
2: mm-hmm.
1: um, you know. I try. Um, I do lives to show the animals and to field questions. So I can share with people that, you know, it may look one way, but it's not, I try to show the nitty gritty, Mm -hmm. um, you know, the good, bad, and the ugly, you know, trash can, God bless her has this reputation now for being a saucy lady. (laughs) And people just think that she's like nasty and mean. And it's like, no, it's literally like, you know, we've just have this segment going on, but you know. Hey man, they want to think that they're, they're nasty. That'll work for my benefit.
2: Mm -hmm.
0: So I think one of the, one of the things I see a lot, especially when people consider um, buying exotic. So obviously working with like snakes or lizards, isn't, it is a lot of work, but it's not nearly as much as working with mammals. So I've had the opportunity to work with like a, a, a lemur locally. I help, mm-hmm. um, pets it for generic reptiles. Um, nice. and I love it, but one of the things I never noticed and I barely do anything is the sheer amount of work that happens every day to not only care for these animals, but to socialize them. Mm-hmm. Could you walk through like what a day looks like for you? Cause I feel like once people know what they're getting into, it helps deter people from wanting these animals.
1: Okay. Absolutely. Um, Obviously I'm on a grander scale, but the amount of work that even goes into one of them is like having a child. Um, So I work two jobs in addition to running Kinkatopia. I do have my nine to five um, and I am a freelance writer for a recovery company
2: Mm -hmm.
1: on the side. And um, so my day starts with getting up early before work and um, I have to clean the indoor room um, trash and Binks and sometimes Gotham are out in that space all night, the 30 by nine foot space. Arkham does get locked up from midnight on. He's comfortable with it. He gets activities. It's just safety. Mm-hmm. Um, they're not letter trained. So my day starts with me literally going in there and being on my hands and knees and scooping up the poop. Um, I have to clean that whole room. I have to wipe down their cages. I have to clean out the pans. Uh, I do have double McCall cages that the doors are open in there for them to go in and out. Um, There's no perfect system for the bathroom. I've got newspaper laid down, they go everywhere. Mm -hmm. That's how I start my day, wash all their dishes. Um, I work, then my afternoon is spent like my lunch break. I come out here and I have to do maintenance on all of these cages. Um, So I have to remove all of their dishes. I have to spot clean. Um, you know, I have to clean up maybe any toys or if there was any enrichment activities. So, you know, the enrichment, everyone gets them a couple times a week. And that too, you know, tonight, let's, uh, let's see, today, last night, everyone got their little feeding cages. So, you know, I have to go around and collect all of those, go around and clean everyone, rake their, their cages. Um, so that has to be done absolutely every single day. Now, this is even before they wake up. I finished my work day. Maybe I'll spend a couple hours myself. Um, And then it's at least two to three hours every single night that's spent feeding them, making their enrichment, and then coming out here and going around to every single cage with every single kink, spending some time with them in some way or another. A lot of them, I can't out here, I can't enter the cage at night. So I'm target training. I am, you know, giving them treats, I'm sitting with them, talking to them because they crave that social interaction. Mm -hmm. Um, So we're just making sure everyone has what they need. Um, Finish my night inside, get Arkham, you know, settled in for his evening, get the enrichment. Maybe I'll let Trash and Gotham come out in the house for a little bit, I'll wrestle with things. Then I have to lay down newspaper and prepare everything for the evening. So I'm spending four to five hours a day in between taking care of myself, my recovery and work and having downtime uh, and a social life to be able to care for them. I have an intern this semester who is a literal godsend. This girl is amazing. Um, She's here twice a week. She helps me and I do have volunteers that comes on Monday nights as well. Um, My weekends are spent deep cleaning. Um, For example, yesterday, we had to remulch all of the enclosures. We also had to redo Bella and Kinky's cage. Um, We had to add a new platform up top. So we had to go to Home Depot. We had to do drilling and all this stuff. That was a nine-hour project. Um, Once a month, I have a volunteer event, which is a six-hour event where people come. They help me literally wash the inside from ceiling to floor Mm-hmm. We clean everything
0: because they pee everywhere they get pee on the ceiling they
1: everywhere and they have a brown oil that they stain everything with oh i forgot about that everything off um that has to be done you know maintenance and upkeep we're constantly like we're gonna have to do painting in a couple weeks so we're constantly circulating all these projects at least once a weekend um there's a lot a lot a lot of work that goes into it hmm Nonstop, stop yeah mm-hmm. yes yeah.
0: so you mentioned um I want to make sure that I mean I feel like I could talk to you for like six hours about this um so you have your organization animals so the kinkajous that you care for but you also have a small collection of animals yourself um mm-hmm. can you talk a little bit I I mean I think people would be interested in your owl monkey. so talking a little bit about Ollie and, and how you got him and And how, um, I also think it's really interesting to see how your cats and then Ollie and the Kinkajous all kind of coexist. So talk to me about the chaos inside the home as well.
1: Oh God. I love it. I love it. So we do have reptiles as Mm I mentioned, you know, we still have, uh, Tegus from the beginning, as I mentioned in our apartment, we have an alligator, the venomous, um, we do have an owl monkey we took in last year, um, Someone in the industry was shutting down their sanctuary. Um, How it started was an owl monkey is a bucket list animal that Michael and I have always wanted. And instead of impulsively going into this, because I've changed my ways, um, when I got my second job, I said, this is something we can save up and afford. Um, We need to get on list for breeders. Let's do a year of research and we'll get him. We'll get an owl monkey. So that was on a... Friday, I started joining Facebook groups and started networking with breeders. And I reached out to this contact, you know, who I knew had his sanctuary and had owl monkeys. And I wanted to know where he got his. And, um, he came back and responded, you know, Hey, I don't know if you knew this, but I have to shut down my sanctuary. And I would entrust Oliver as actually his name, but we have an Oliver King. So I would, Mm -hmm. you, um, you know, I want you to pay X amount for him, but we can work something out, you know? So I talked to Michael and I said, listen, this is a really good opportunity. You know, we can pay him off, invest in him. Let's do it. So that was a Tuesday. (laughs) Oh my goodness. (laughs) Jumped in the car and went and picked up Ollie. Um, I've never trained with primates. Um, I've been around primates. Um, You know, we figured we'd figure it out as it went. It was going to be fine. This was a great deal, Um, you know, and we went and got him. And, you know, fortunately, too, we also knew that we had the resources. You know, uh, I had an animal trainer on my board at that time. And, um, you know, we were like, we knew we had the support to be able to figure it out. Mm -hmm. So we got Ollie and um, God bless him. This poor creature, he was unsocialized and he was isolated he just was not being kept properly was there a reason
0: this other sanctuary was being closed if I can ask
1: sure so to just give the the nutshell and this really what made me take a look at myself at the time is this individual um was going through kind of a midlife crisis Mm -hmm. and was going through some severe personal issues and he tried to sustain the sanctuary and he couldn't on his own. So he did need to close it himself.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, and the reason when we went up there that the animals were in the condition that they were was because he was going through issues himself. Mm-hmm. So I went up there and Bella is actually from this place too. She's a kinkajou here. And when I went up, I you know we got Ollie and then went up a month later and got Bella. And seeing the conditions, I initially wanted to judge. And then I was very quickly humbled and said, Oh my God, I felt like I was looking at myself from, Mm -hmm. you know, so I have a lot of grace for that situation. Um, I don't believe it was any fault of his own, you Mm
0: -hmm. know? And I apologize if I sounded judgmental. I was just curious.
1: No, no. I think it's a natural question. I just want to be, um, keep the person as anonymous as possible. Of course. Mm -hmm. Um, but I think that it's important for people to also hear that, you know, there are people behind these organizations. They're living human beings that are, you know, <coughs> excuse me, may that mean well, and sometimes stuff happens to us
2: mm-hmm.
1: with no control of our own. And we do the best that we can and we fall short. Mm-hmm. And that mean that we should be ostracized.
0: Mm-hmm. Absolutely.
1: So, um, So Ollie just was not being kept in the best conditions. And we brought him home. He hit puberty. He had a lot of behavioral issues. He was a rehome monkey that didn't know how to be a monkey. Um, So we got him neutered. I hired a monkey trainer to work with him.
0: You can find anyone in Florida. I think that's so funny.
1: (laughs) We got a monkey trainer, Um, you know, and we work with him every single day. We're coming up on a year since we've got him excuse me. And, um, he's a piece of work, man. Um, I don't think I'd ever get another primate. like I'm just, I like animals that are a little bit more de- independent. Mm-hmm. He's wonderful. He has made such amazing strides. Um, he's not too keen on visitors, but he's great with Michael and I, um, we're expanding his cage. We, we moved him out into the living room months ago Uh, over the summer um, because before we had him in a side room. So we moved him out so he could be with us and now we're expanding his cage even more. We're gonna put a big setup in the living room. Uh, He's got this great walk-in aviary that he has no interest in, go figure. (laughs) Um, But he is best friends with our cats. We have two sphinxes, a lycoy and a tabby. He loves these cats so much. Um, We've had play dates with other monkeys. Um, I told Michael when we got him, he is a social animal. We may need to get him a companion. We are prepared to do it. He's not big on other monkeys. Hmm. So got those cats.
0: Him and Ripper. Cats,
1: best friends. They wrestle. Uh, they're obsessed with each other. It's amazing. We did rush into it, but we knew that we were going to do anything that we absolutely could to make sure that he was going to be okay. And mm-hmm. he is. he's great. And he's just going to continue to grow. So um, he's great. We have flying squirrels. So uh, they're outside now in a big walk in aviary, but I've had flying squirrels. My one guy Maverick has been with me for a long, long time. Um, and I'm excited to say that this year we're going to welcome a Jeanette to our family. A small, oh, that's so fun. Jeanette, yeah, that's another um, bucket list animal. Um, I've done the research. I've wanted this creature since when I got Gotham. Um, since we were going to get another owl monkey and decided against it, um, we do want to have this creature living among our home. It can coexist with our cats and just run loose. Mm -hmm. So um, we're waiting for it to be conceived and then we'll be welcoming it to our home at some point this year.
0: So we're, we're getting to the time. So I just want to ask, um, one more question. If someone thinks that they are in a position where they can like mentally, financially, physically afford to get an exotic, such as a kinkajou, an owl monkey or something similar. What, what are your thoughts for them? Like, what would you say to do? What's the best course of action?
1: Find somewhere that you can spend time with them. Mm -hmm. I know that it's not a requirement nationally to have any hours with these animals, but I think it's very important to spend time with them to go try to, whether it's sanctuaries or private owners, um, try to be able to see their setups. Um, Definitely please visit kinkatopia.org because Mm -hmm. we have, I've got 20 plus bullet points as to what you need to consider. Um, We have a lot of resources, join our community. You know, I'm not saying that no one should have them. I'm saying a small percentage of people can actually keep them for their lives. So just to put that in perspective, um, only 10 to 15% of Kinkajous stay in the homes they start out in. The rest of them are rehomed Mm -hmm. they way before expectancy. They're sold over and over or they're just being completely miskept. Um, It's very unfortunate. Please don't think you're different like I did. Um, it's so easy to I get it, but if you're going to get this animal, fully commit, mm-hmm. fully commit to having it through its whole life, you know. And when people, especially the people who keep them, are telling you about size, you know, size cages and diet and how cautious you need to be with them, um, hang on to the coattails of your predecessors. Mm-hmm. That's important.
0: And is a kinkajou an animal that you would generally say you're going to need two or more? Like, cause I know that you keep all of yours in pairs or you try to, um, is that pretty common? Are they a rather social species in that regard?
1: I find that captive kinkajous are more social in the wild. They are more solitary, but they do come back to sleep together, small groups. Um, I have one here who doesn't like other kinks oliver lives on his own that's how he wants uh it depends on the kinkajou it really really does depend on the kinkajou Uh, i'm not going to sit here and say it's a requirement um especially if you know someone's going to rush into getting two and then that's going to take away for the life they can provide for one uh especially monetarily and space it just depends on the kink i always tell people they're like humans they're super individual You know, I'm very careful in how I pair everyone. Um, It's like matchmaking. Kinky wasn't comfortable with Trash and Arkham and Binks or Chloe. He's comfortable with Bella because, you know, she's smaller than them. They hit it off, you know, so they're very much like people. Mm
0: -hmm. Awesome. Well, I first want to say thank you so much for your time. It's like I said, I could talk to you forever, but I do want to make sure I'm respectful of your day because it is Valentine's Day. Um, but I also want to say thank you so much for your vulnerability and openness during this conversation. It's definitely a difficult uh, situation to discuss, but it's, it's so helpful. And I hope that other people can get some mental and emotional relief knowing that they may not be alone and, and feeling overwhelmed or dealing with other issues at the same time as helping with their animals. Mm-hmm. So, um, if people want to get in touch with you, where can they find you?
1: So um, kinkatopia.org, of course, is our website. We're on all the social medias, um, Instagram, TikTok, uh, Twitter, YouTube, Facebook, you name it. Uh, We do have a Patreon Mm -hmm. uh, trying to build. Our Patreon right now is sustaining offsite storage space and we need to increase that. So um, even by contributing $5 a month, you know, which many people miss um, is a huge, huge contribution to us. Um, There are fun ways to get involved with the Kinkajous on our website. If you want to donate to your favorite Kinkajou or donate to a specific cause, Um, we send thank you gifts for every donation. Yeah, I just got my little Kinkajou painting and I love it. Yes, our one can get you paint. Um, it's very important to us that people who are involved with us in any way, you guys are family. That's what this is all about. It's, it's patience, love, and tolerance. It's all family. Um, yeah, I'd say those are the hot spots to find me. Um, I do, like I mentioned, uh, this is very important to me too. And piggybacking off of what you just said, um, thank you for giving me the opportunity to be vulnerable and share my recovery, it's very important to me to intertwine the two, um, as I'm sure you can see after listening to this podcast, but um, I think it's very important to normalize mental illness in any aspect. Um, Like I said, I'm very open with it across the board in my social media and everything because I want people to know it's okay to not be okay. uh, And I need to hear that and I need the accountability for it too. So I'm always open to talk about anything the kinkajus are here for the world
0: awesome well alex thank you again so much um i also want to give give a big thank you to joe phelan with port city pet for helping with with this podcast um For everyone who may not know, my name is Dominique DeFalco at DeFalco Reptiles, and it's been a pleasure to speak with Alex and then also, you know, speak with our audience. And again, thank you for all the overwhelming love and support. It's been phenomenal. So um, this is the Modern Medusa podcast, and we'll talk at you next week. Thanks.